Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. So you know we've been in a series on Paul. If you're new here today, welcome, by the way. And if you're watching online, welcome, by the way. I know we have a lot of guests here for baptism today as well. If you're here for baptism, just give me a wave real quick. This is awesome. Welcome. We're super glad to have you. I'm Mark, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Listen, guys, we have 50 people being baptized today. Isn't that awesome? Listen, you know, we get rowdy about, about a lot of things, but I love it when we can get rowdy in worship and in church about the things of God and about what God is up to. Listen, usually when society starts to slip, there are people that God calls to extreme obedience, to a level of obedience that, that brings about glory and honor for his name. You may, have, uh, you may remember from Pastor Jason's message last week as well that along with that, along with the Christian lifestyle, comes something very specific. Do you guys remember what it is? It starts with an S. Success? Yeah, you're right. I, yeah, I heard that. I heard somebody say it down here. Suffering. Now, God bless the good old U.S. of A., but we worship comfort and security here like crazy. We do anything we can possibly do to make sure that we feel comfortable and secure. We even have food that's called comfort food. We have a whole category of food dedicated to helping us feel comfortable. Candy, I hear that. Hallelujah. That is not what God has called you to. He has not called you to comfort. He has called you to obedience. In fact, when we think about success, how you measure success matters. For a long time, I thought of success in certain ways, but success actually for the Christian can be defined with one word. Obedience. And if you want to go homeschool, you can use two words and you can say trusting obedience. Trusting obedience is what the measure of success is for the Christian's life. It's not about what you can accumulate, what you can accomplish, what applause you can get. It is about pleasing Jesus with your trusting obedience. And all of us are on a journey to that, that place of learning to trust and obey. I think is, just can I give you a little confession really quick? I'm not in like habitual sin or anything, so don't worry about that. But what, I'm, what I want to say is this. For a long time, I thought that as we matured, you know, the goal was to get to a place where you are walking with Jesus and he doesn't have to tell you what to do because you already know. And you just, you just do the stuff. You do the stuff that you know pleases God because that's just a, level, a mark of maturity. But this last year, God really has started to challenge that, that notion that maturity is just knowing what God wants and we just do it. I mean, that's great. But where's the obedience side? Where's the trusting obedience there? If we just think, well, I know everything God wants done through my life and I'm just going to walk around just doing that, Where's the room for God to say, hey, Jeff, hey, Rachel, hey, Mark, I want you to try this. You've never done this before. Will you follow me over here? Will you let go of that to grab a hold of this? And it's a place of trust where we need to learn to trust his goodness. And as we look at the life of Paul, this trusting obedience this relinquishing of what he possessed to grab a hold of Christ was a hallmark of his life. You know, in today's society, people are looking for their identity. And I'm not here to rip on people in their weakness or their self-deception or their wounds. I'm not here to rip on people. But our society is desperately looking for their place of belonging. 
They're looking to know who they are to be able to define who they are so that they know who they need to become. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you don't know who you are, you don't know what you're growing into. And so they're looking everywhere, but not just them. We like to say, well, them, you know, us too. How many times even this week have you, have you maybe asked the question, God, what, have you, what do you want me to do? Who have you made me to be? I believe that's something that we seek for always because when we know who we are, that's a place of security. However, I want to show you three areas where we can attempt to get our identity but where it isn't found. And we look at this through Paul's life. You guys ready? You guys are really quiet this morning. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. I only have 27 pages of notes, and it's 16 point though, so it's fine. One of the, one of the first places that we are tempted to find our identity is in what I'll call our measurements of success. I heard somebody say, oh boy. These measurements actually change over time because what's important to a six-year-old or a 12-year-old is not so important to a 45-year-old or a 60-year-old or a 70-year-old. That's just the truth. The measurements kind of change, which I feel like is a little bit unfair that we do this to ourselves, but we do it all the same. In our early years, we focus on things like and we find a lot of value and identity in our academic achievements, the accolades we receive in sports, or our social popularity. And we place a lot of importance in those things. And they are important, but they're not ultimately important. They have meaning, but not eternal meaning always. Do you follow what I'm saying? So it's, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't care about anything, don't do anything, don't achieve anything, just sit there and be happy you're a child of God and do nothing. That's not what I'm saying. Some of you are thinking, ooh, this is permission to take an eternal nap and not have to care at all. No. There's a time for everything. And sleeping was over at whatever time you got up this morning. In the middle years, we, we look at things and we take pride in and we place our identity in who we are in our jobs, so our accumulated power, money, achievements, or contributions to society. And I'm not saying where those cutoffs are for the ages. I'll let you all decide that, okay? But we find great, a great sense of identity in what we do. I, I know like in, in conversations, oftentimes people the first thing they talk about is what they do. I think maybe because that's easy, it's easy to like put your finger on. And maybe it sounds a little weird to, be, to walk up to somebody and say, hey, I'm Mark and I'm a child of God. <laughs> you know? Sure. But I think you know, okay, you know if you're using what you do or what you have accomplished as a cover-up for an area of insecurity where you feel deficient. You know that. You see, I've traveled a fair bit, and sometimes in missionary landia, you hear people, they wag their, their, their nation's list around. How many languages they speak. How many people they've led to the Lord. So even in, in missionary land, in that culture, there's this sense of, I need to compensate for an area where I feel deficient, and I'm uncomfortable letting you see that, so I'm going to cover it over with all these badges and awards from Jesus. Which, as you grow older, you see that those things actually tarnish and fade, and they weren't from maybe from Jesus at all. There are things you picked out of a shoebox and put on yourself. But it's so easy for us to identify ourselves by what we do, what we have achieved. Power is kind of intoxicating, Money is, it can be intoxicating. The Bible says that the love of money can be a root of many kinds of evil. Achievements, as we stack them up and put them on our wall and accumulate them, they actually do impress other people. And other people's thoughts about us actually can become kind of disproportionately important. 
And I think what ends up happening if we don't get this in line is we become distorted. We actually can't even see ourselves for who we really are. We see ourselves as what we think other people see us as. And it's a distortion. You know, in our latter years, we take pride and set our identity in the honor we receive, in the reputation that we have built, and the legacy that we'll leave behind. Now again, that's just a guess since I'm such a young buck, you know. But as we move out of career building to wrapping up our career and moving into that next season, I'm not going to call it retirement, but whatever you want to call it, that can be the thing that you set your identity in. Another thing that came to me as I was hanging backstage and just listening to the Lord is that we start to, to find our identity in what was, what I had, what I did, what I had, who I was with. Like that's supposed to give you some sort of credibility with the people that you're with. You know, if Paul had rooted his, ide- his identity in his successes, I really don't believe he would have gone through the shipwrecks and the nakedness and the starving and the floggings and the beatings and, and the, the preaching and the, the being chased and being pelted with rocks. I don't think he would have done that. He would have said, don't you know who I am? With his regalness wrapped around him and clinging to his, his reputation. But instead, he actually let it all go. You know, he says, he says a lot of things in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at them right now. And it says this, he says to the church, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, which is meaning those who are pushing the fact that you can earn some type of righteousness by being circumcised. He says, look out for those guys who are trying to follow the law. For we, he's saying to the church, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, which means we take the chance to say Jesus did it all. We put glory where it belongs. And we put no confidence in the flesh or the works of our flesh. No confidence at all. Though, he says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This was Paul saying, Yo, you think you can brag on your works? I can beat you all at this game. Trust me. And you might say, well, that's kind of, that's kind of like arrogant. That's kind of like, no, you know what it is? It's truth telling to defend the power of the gospel. Let's see what he says. He says, I have more confidence. I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was the law, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. There were over 600 laws he would have had to follow. And he says here, I follow them all. I was blameless. But then he says a shocking statement. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, everything I I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of not knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This word loss that he says, I counted, whatever I counted as gain, I now count as loss. This word loss in the Greek literally means damage. What he's pointing out is that the very things he would take as a prop up for his ego or things that he counted as a blessing toward his calling he actually now began to see that those things would stand in the very way of where God was trying to take him. 
Do you ever think of the blessings in your life or your achievements or the power you've accumulated? Do you ever think of those things as, as barriers to entering into the everything that God has for you? Do you ever think about that? Because they're good things. We'll oftentimes say, well, these are things that God gave me. Well, he didn't give them to you so that you could hold them so tight with his death grip that you can never let them go and let him put something different in there. Do you follow what I'm saying? Church, friends, hear me out. God may be calling you to relinquish some of these good things. I'm not saying throw them away, but set them in their proper place. Letting Christ be first in everything. And that is hard to do. But it is worth it because, like Paul says, he did that for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. When we put those things in their proper place, we elevate the value of what it means to know Jesus and follow him and be his kids and represent him on the earth. Amen? So you might be thinking, well, that's, that's just great, Mark. I just finally achieved that level on whatever thing. But here's the thing. Paul relinquished his rights. And this word relinquished means that he gave them up. To, he surrendered. He released. This is literally the definition of relinquish. Release something, especially a possession, right, or claim. It can also refer to letting go of power and control. And can I tell you guys a secret? Don't tell anybody this because you'll upset some people. You don't have control. Next. <laughs> Thanks. You don't have the control that you think you have. You don't. Guys, Paul could have held on to his reputation. He could have continued being a Pharisee, trying to ride the line between following Jesus and being a teacher of the law, or tried to convince himself that he could mix this with this, his old identity with his new one, and just meld them together. And you know what would have happened? This is really encouraging. He would have died, and the grace of God that blessed the world would have not come out of his life. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't want, everything, I don't want you to feel like I'm trying to say this is like life and death, that, that God's got this crazy thing, and you're going to write half the Bible tomorrow, and if you don't, like, no. But God wants to do something through you in the sphere that you're in in your family, with your grandkids, with your great-grandkids, with your future kids, with your spouse, with your employees, with those that you work with, with your peers, with the people on your sports team. He wants to do something this week through you. But we actually have the ability to set up barriers around that by hanging on to the very things that he's given us that are meant to be a blessing. And so I want to challenge you to just check in with the Lord and ask him if there are some rights that you're holding too tightly to or some pieces of your reputation you're holding too tightly to or your achievements that you're hiding behind. Because you know, <laughs> you know when someone's talking about something awesome that happened in their life because they're trying to give glory to the God, and, not to the God, but to God, just to be clear on that. That was just a tongue-tie thing. And when someone is, is talking about those things to hide behind them. And friends, give glory to God. But don't hide behind what he's done in your life. There's more he wants to do. In fact, I think that's the greatest temptation in our latter years. Not that I've gotten there yet. I'm starting to get some grays. But, you know, in our latter years is that we start to be content with what God has done. And we stop remembering that God still wants to do crazy things until you go home to be with him. He wants, and you don't have to create those crazy things. Just listen and obey. Just keep it simple. Stay near to him. Listen to what he tells you. Hear what he has to say about you and go chase after that. Amen? You know, in 1 Corinthians, that classic love scripture, you all know it by heart. I'm sure you have it memorized. But Paul says something. He says, it doesn't really matter what you do. If you do it without love, you're nothing. You gain nothing. You see, Paul, he actually leveraged what God had given him for the advancement of the gospel and for serving others. That is the blessing put in the right place. 
So there's another area. This one's super encouraging, okay? There's another area that we can easily find our identity in, and that is in our failures. See, I told you to be encouraging. And there are, there are places where we have failure that we can make our identity. Paul had plenty of areas where he could have pointed out and made his identity that he was a failure. But we have areas of past shame, things we've done in the past. And we say to ourselves now, I can't believe I did that. I'm just a failure. I'm just a failure. It's different when you say, I failed. It's different it's than to say, I am a failure. In our present stumbling, we say things like, I can't stop this. I'm just unable to change. I'm just unable to change. And in our future fears we have, we're already setting ourselves up for failure by saying things like, there is no way I can do whatever. I'm just incapable. I'm just an incapable person. I could never do that. God's asked me to do what? I can't do that. So we just turn our backs and run. And so you may have multiple things going on in this category of failures, your history, your present, your future, but God wants to invite you to a new identity. This is not who you are. You are not your failures. You are not your lack of capacity. You are not your habits or your shortcomings or your failures. That's not who you are. But I can't tell you how many young men I've counseled over the years and received counsel myself that you are not your failures. Because it's so easy to say, well, I'm just an addict. I'm just a, I'm just a, a, a porn looker. I can't get over it. But I'll tell you when it changes is when you start to align your thinking with the thinking of Christ about you. When you start to think, put your, your mind in line with what the truth is about you from God's word and what he says to you, then you can actually start to change the way that you do things. You should not expect to be able to do differently if you don't start thinking differently. And we've said it a million times, but repenting does not mean feeling sorry. It means changing the way you think. And not to just some arbitrary standard, but to the standard that Christ says about you. Getting in agreement with what he says. You cannot expect to walk differently if you don't start with changing the way you think. And this is not some kind of like quick tip to improve your life. But it is true and it will improve your life. If you always think that you're never enough, that's how you live. If you think you can never be faithful to your wife after having cheated on her, then you never will. If you think that you can't build friendships, then you never will. And I'm not saying it's just now think on something better. No, think on something true. That's what Paul says in Philippians. Think on these things. Man, if, if, if Paul had rooted his identity in his failures, he would have never stepped into the call of God in his life. And we can't expect to either if we're not willing to even relinquish our right to wallow in the pain of our failures past, present, and our fears about the future. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. Are you guys with me? You all doing all right? Okay, cool. I'm not ignoring the left-hand side. I see you guys too, all right? For some reason, I have a tendency to look this way. I don't know why. But. He says this, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things of the world the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing 
what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Amen. I want to just share a little note about remembering our past. Actually, I'm going to have Paul share it with you. Because he announced from Galatians 2.21, he says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. Because the question is, how do you relate to your past failings, even your existing condition that you might be struggling through right now? How do you hold that? What do you do with that? Because it's a reality. And Paul gives us this advice. He says, to recognize that your old self is crucified with Christ. And he goes on to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body. See, he comes back to the reality. I'm living in this earthly broken body. But I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. Trusting obedience. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So here's what he said. He said, I keep my past in its place by putting it under the authority of Christ's work. His past actually became a megaphone to announce the goodness of God to the world for generations to come. Think about that. Now, I'm not saying go get a testimony. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that God wants you to relinquish your right to hold on to and worship your failures by giving them so much attention every day. He wants you to take those and put them under the work of Christ and say, look at what Jesus did. Bragging on Jesus, look at what Jesus did. Nobody could have set me free from that, but Jesus did. Nobody could have healed me, but Jesus did. I couldn't change myself, but Jesus did. And let your failures become the megaphone that announced the goodness of God to the people that he has put in your life. What if we actually believed that Christ could do that kind of stuff in our lives? What if we actually invited him to do that kind of stuff in our lives? What would we write on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter? Does anybody use Twitter? On whatever those other social media platforms are, in our conversations with our friends, our families, our coworkers, the Uber driver, the grocery store clerk. I believe that we have an invitation to announce the goodness of God by saying, man, can I tell you something crazy that God did this, this week? Can I tell you something awesome God did from my, my past, what he redeemed me from? You see, when, that is, when your failures are put under the work of Jesus Christ and brought into the light like that, they don't have authority over you anymore. Your story that the enemy meant for evil now becomes the announcement block, the soapbox on which the grace of God can be announced. But sometimes we're like, man, I'm going to hide that one away. God is inviting us to live like lights shining in the darkness, guys. He is inviting us to do that. But I tell you what, we're not going to be able to do it very well if we're hiding behind our successes or we're groveling in the shadow of our failures and our brokenness. It's time for a change. He goes on to say to Timothy in 1 Timothy, you guys realize that Paul wrote like half the New Testament? It's crazy. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God... He had mercy on me because I did, I did it in the arrogance, in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious the Lord was. And he filled me with the faith and love that comes from Jesus Christ. And here is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. <laughs> All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies, and he alone is God. Amen. 
Something my friend Jack and I were talking about is that in Paul's early years, he would call himself the least of the apostles. (laughs) But in his latter years, he would continually say that he was the worst of sinners. And I think that's because he started to become okay with the fact that he was who he was. But by the grace of God, he became someone different. And he used it to announce the goodness of God. So again, I'm not saying go get a testimony today, meaning go do something dumb so God can turn it around for you. That's not what I'm saying. But recognize that even your weakness, Paul boasted in his weakness because it was in his weakness that God made his strength perfect. And I think sometimes we really need God's perfect strength, but we settle for holding on to our weaknesses instead. God is inviting you to grab a hold of his strength. And let go of your weakness and your failures and your brokenness. Wives, you can look at your husbands right now and say, yeah, he's talking to you. (laughs) Let's not be people who devalue the grace of God by doubting what his grace can do for us. His grace is limitless. And his power is capable of undoing anything that you have done and turning it into the megaphone that announces his goodness and grace. Final point. Paul could have sought to set his identity firmly in his citizenship. This could have turned him toward the my country is better than your country syndrome. Not that we ever struggle with this sort of thing. But I couldn't stand up here and preach to you without bringing this to your attention. As a a loving friend and as a, a pastor in this church, it is to say this, that God's way, God's kingdom is not the American kingdom. Did you guys know that? Christianity isn't North American. Now, before you start throwing stones at me for tearing down the American flag, that is not what I'm doing. God has blessed this nation to be a blessing. We hold on to that blessing and use it for ourselves alone, then God help us. But as far as I know, I've never met anybody who had a little meeting with God before they were conceived and said, you know, God, could you maybe have me be born in America? I just really think that would be great. No. You see, you could have been born somewhere else with different parents in a different nation, even in a different time. You could have. We don't know. But what we do know is that none of us choose where we're born. So then logically, we need to understand that if you were placed here, then God is entrusting you with what is here for a reason. You see, Paul could have let his, his Roman citizenship, his passport to Rome, be like some sort of high tower from which he would look and judge the nations around him. But instead, he lent his citizenship and his Jewishness to the Lord for the advancement of the gospel. Do you guys see that? That's what he did. He leveraged his passport for the advancement of the gospel. He didn't hide behind it, although one time he did say, do you think it is okay to beat a Roman citizen when he was being beaten? And they're all like, oh my gosh. So, you know, we all have our weak moments, right? Poor guy. But he, he gave his, even his citizenship to God to be used for the advancement of the gospel. He used it to serve other people. God has put you in this place, not so that you can be comfortable and get the the right colored mac and cheese from the box at the store or have 18 million selections of cereal every day. God has set you here where you have access to something. You have access to resources, healthcare, education, people, networks. Think about it. Why would he give that to you? 
I believe that God gives that to us so that we can turn around and be a blessing. And I feel deep conviction over this for us. God has given us, just think from a financial standpoint alone. Can I go put my missions hat on real quick? Did you know that $258 billion is given away to global missions every year from America, the United States alone? Don't clap. Don't clap. I'll tell you why. Less than 0.001% of that goes to the nations that are unreached. You see why I'm saying don't clap? Now, there are reasons for that. It's where missionaries are. 98% of them are in reached nations already. But God has given us incredible $258 billion last year. That's a lot of money to go to nations. Guys, God has given us an incredible, he's given us access to create wealth through jobs, through job creation, through creating businesses, through working for a paycheck, whatever it is. He's given us access that other nations don't have. We can earn in a week or a month here what it could take a year or 10 years for another person to earn in another nation. Think about that. Think about how God might want you to use your network, your finances, your talents, your access to your education. You have degrees. You have master's degrees. You have PhDs. Some of you had double PhDs. You guys are overachievers. But for what? So you can hang it on a wall and be like, woohoo! Or is it because God wants you to make glory for his name? Now, I don't know. Maybe God wants to call you to go to some crazy nation somewhere. Maybe he just wants you to be talking about what's in his heart with the people who are around you to get them excited about it as well. So together we can do something awesome. I don't know, but that's up to you to decide with the Lord and to ask him, you put this in my hands, I relinquish the right to hold this as mine. What do you want to do with it? Because yours anyway. Because I don't know if you know this, but God could actually just take everything away if he wanted to. He could in a moment just shoop. Scoop it all away. But God wants us to be engaged in what he's about. What he is doing. And I don't mean just foreign missions, but that's a big piece that this church is about. I don't know if you know that or not. But we've got to see people get access to the gospel who could live their whole lives and never even accidentally find Jesus through a friend, a church, a Bible, or a missionary. We've got to do something about that. And God has equipped us to be a blessing to the nations. Through the gospel, through healthcare, through education, through business, all of it. See, this was the mentality that Paul had. He says in Philippians chapter 3, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly and we are eagerly, eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Paul didn't root his identity in being a Roman citizen. We need to be careful not to root our identity in the nation that we are citizens of. Why? Because we are citizens of heaven. You belong to a different culture now. You belong to a different nation now. It speaks a different language. That's why when Jesus says, you know, when someone persecutes you, like, you're blessed. Like, that's not normal. It's because you don't live in the normal countries anymore. You don't live in the normal cultures anymore. You live in a new country and your citizenship is in heaven. Now, here's the deal. Your citizenship is secure. Your citizenship in heaven is secure, and now your job is to everywhere you go, think like a citizen of God's kingdom. Where I go, his authority goes. Where I go, his truth is proclaimed. Where I go, his kingdom is established firmly and cannot be moved. Because I don't know about you, but I trust Jesus. And he said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which when it's planted, grows up to become the biggest plant in the garden, and it cannot be eradicated. So don't worry when the... When evildoers or people don't know God are doing stuff. You go plant and establish the kingdom of God. That's your job. Did you, you know the scripture where Jesus talks about if someone strikes you on the cheek, do what? Turn the other cheek to them also. Do you know what it says right before that? 
We don't like quoting this one. He says to his disciples, don't resist an evil person. What? I thought that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out there and just slam them to the ground and tell them Jesus loves them. No. If we get all worked up about that, we will be distracted from the very thing that God has called you to do. And it's, the, it's something only you can do as a Christian. Hear me out. Your greatest place of service in the kingdom of God is to do kingdom of God stuff. <laughs> not worry about what everybody's doing that they're not doing that you, they should be doing. No, 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 no. no. Go out, represent Christ. I dare you. I dare you. And see what happens. That neighbor who's a grouch, make him some cookies. Kingdom cookies. You hear what I'm saying? Go mow their lawn. Well, maybe don't do that without permission because they might get angry because you cut it too short or too long. I don't know. You are citizens of heaven. If you're in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. You have a different citizenship. You are not American. Or I know we got some Brasileiros in the house. You're not Brazilian. Any Mexicanos in here? We got some Mexicans in here. You're not Mexican anymore. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. And we are united under that banner. Pray for your nation. Love your nation. Don't worship your nation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't worship your nation. If we do that, we will miss the greatest opportunity you could ever seize when you're alive. And that is to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name. And when we build the kingdom of God, it will never be torn down. You'll miss that. If you're busy worshiping at the altar of America, you will not be operating in the kingdom of God. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm not saying you have to take your American flag off your car, the sticker or thing, or off your porch. It's great to be reminded about what God did in this nation and the people who fought and died. It's great. We should do that, but we should not exalt that above our citizenship, which is firmly established and planted in heaven. Do you follow what I'm saying? The difference makers that God needs are people who are in love with Jesus so much so that they will do anything. They will serve anyone. They will go anywhere. They will give away their reputation, their finances, their time for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of people that God is calling forward. And I tell you what, it says in the Bible that in the last days, which who knows when those are. My son asked me the other day, when's the end of the world coming? I said, May 29th, 2024. But here's the deal. In the last days, it says the wicked will become more wicked and the righteous more righteous. What does that even mean? It means that the distinction between what wicked people do, people who do not know who God is, what they do, and what people who know God, what they do, the distinction gets further and further apart. And I think that's why Jesus says, hey, if you try to ride the fence, you're neither hot nor cold. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Why? Because it would be lunacy to think that you could mix both of those things and be, well, that's fine. Paul firmly settled it in his heart that he was leaving behind his successes, his failures, even his citizenship to grab a hold of knowing Jesus. And look at the fruit of a life lived like that. He could have held on to all that stuff. And my assumption is, think it's fair to say we would not have the letters from Paul and the world would not be evangelized the way it is if he had chosen to cling to those things. To cling to his successes, his failures, or his citizenship. But instead he let them go. And he took possession of something greater. And sure, you know what? He died a martyr in jail. He spent a lot of years in prison writing things like, I've learned to be content in all circumstances while he's chained in that. Can you imagine trying to write letters with a quill, pen, and ink with a chain dangling off your hand? He was able to do that, though, because he saw out of his current reality into the future reality we will all step into, and that is where Christ is living. Our citizenship is in heaven. Are you willing to relinquish your rights? 
Are you willing to relinquish your rights to brag on and take pride in your accomplishments? Are you willing to relinquish your rights to wallow in your failures or your weakness? Are you willing to relinquish your rights even to being a citizen of your nation? You see, when our identity is informed by the voice of Christ, the question of who am I is settled forever. And not only that, the call of what it means of who we're supposed to become and what we're supposed to do gets settled as well. But that cannot be informed by anyone but Christ. And see, the beautiful thing is when we get it settled in our hearts of who we are, not based on what we've done, but based on what Christ has done for us and what he calls us to, you start to walk with a different kind of swagger in your step. Yeah, you start to say to yourself, yeah, that's who I was. But by the grace of God, look what he's doing now. You start to maybe even dream a little bit with some ambition humble, God-filled ambition about what he might want to do through your life. The businesses he wants you to start, the disciples he wants you to raise, starting even in your own home. The grandkids that he wants you to pray for 25, 30 minutes a day, every day until they yield and finally cave into Jesus. I don't know what it is that he's calling you to do, but I know this, that when you have your identity settled, you start to have a confidence that's rooted in who God is. Not in who you are, but in who God is. And because of who he is, and you are in his family, you know who you are. Your ego can be let go of, and you're not afraid. Your accomplishments can be let go of, and you're not afraid. You can let your failures become a megaphone for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're not ashamed. You can face the future with certainty that no matter what happens, God is there, and good, and able, and capable, and willing, and loving So the question is this that I want you to contemplate this week. Where are you getting your identity from? If it isn't rooted in what Christ says about you on a regular basis, I want to encourage you to consider relinquishing your right to keep thinking the way you're thinking. And again, I'm not asking you to do anything right now, but just take this question with you. Where, where am I getting my, my sense of importance, my security, my sense of identity? Where am I getting that from? And be honest with yourself. We're masters of self-deception. But I invite you to be honest with, with the Lord. Be honest with your friends and your spouse. Be honest with someone who loves you. Hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. What do you see? And see what they say. And pray together and ask God to empower you to live differently. I would like to invite you all to stand. I'm going to read a fire hose of scripture over you. Uh, things that Paul said about our identity in Christ. Kind of like a prayer or a benediction or a blessing over you as we get ready to go throughout the day. You ready? Just hold out your hands like this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of it, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you've been saved. And by now in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been crucified with Christ, and you no longer live but Christ lives in you. 
The life you now live in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave, your, gave himself for you. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. I have been, we have been crucified with Christ and is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground absorbed with things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen and amen. Friends, you can stay standing because I'm going to dismiss you here in a second. But I would love to just say, is there anybody in the house who has yet to place your trust in Christ that you'd like to do that today? Just raise your hand up so I can see you. And we're going to pray together. Thank you. Awesome. Anyone else? Friends, join me in praying this prayer and, and just pray this out loud together with our friends who are giving their lives to the Lord. King Jesus, you are Lord. And I recognize that I am not. I receive forgiveness of sins and I believe now that I'm being adopted into your family forever. So I place my trust in you today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.